All right, it is after seven, so uh, come on in, get a seat, and we will get started. I'm assuming I have a microphone. I think Wesson's talking to Stuffy. You don't know how to do it. <laughs> All right, guys, y'all come in, grab a seat. We're going to get going. I don't think they're listening to me one bit. Cammy. Cammy. Well, you know what's even funnier is I'm standing out here and, I, and I'm, on, I'm on Facebook Live doing this. All right, well, let's, let's say a prayer to get going. Weston, is my mic on? Is this on, this mic? Okay. All right. I'll say a prayer, and we'll go. Are there any prayer concerns tonight? Prayer concerns? We were able to uh, get, it was a busy day yesterday. Y'all might want to say a prayer for, for Kendall and his truck. Uh, we, we drove, uh, we had three vehicles. One was a rented U-Haul. One was Kendall Jackson's pickup truck. And then I think we, booked, we took Perry Wagner's SUV. And with, with some people. Now we drove, we left at 7.30 in the morning and we drove to Baton Rouge and we drove right up to LSU campus and uh, we got the stuff we went out to get and it took a lot. It filled the entire 26 foot U-Haul uh, box truck and, and the flatbed trailer Kendall was pulling. And, and we had to head on down to Ocean Springs. And so Ocean Springs is a good two, or actually it was Pascagoula. I told everyone it was Ocean Springs. Come to find out it was Pascagoula, which is another half hour away. And so we roll into to Pascagoula at five o'clock at night. And it, it really, listen, if I'm being really honest, as much chaos as this project was born out of, it went as smooth as possible. Um, we, we came up and there was a little loading dock. We unloaded all the stuff in a loading dock uh, with our partner churches were both there, both pastors from uh, First Press Pasigula, uh, Matt Mitchell and uh, uh, Corey, uh, Corey Duncan. From, uh, he's the mission pastor over at Ocean Springs. They were all there and we, we got it all unloaded really quick and we headed out on the road. And, and some of the guys wanted to stop and eat, and Kendall and myself and uh, a couple other guys were in a vehicle, and we decided that we wanted to get home before anyone else, and we were making fun of Jim Blaha because he was moving slow and kicking tires on his vehicle, and we were like, man, we got to go. And so we hit the road in Kendall's car to get home. We were like, man, if we get home just a little before nine, that would be great. And I said, Kendall, do you know, um, you know where you're going? Do you want me to set one of these GPS? And he said, oh, man, I drive this road every day. I know everything about this road. <laughs> and I said, okay, okay, okay. And uh, y'all, this is on Facebook Live, so, you know. Um, uh, so, so then, a little while later, he goes, man, I just don't remember this road being this deserted. And, and he says, what town are we in? And what is, it, what is State Line? 
what does that mean? And we were on the state line of Alabama, which is nowhere near where we needed to be. And as soon as we figured that out, there came a dinging on the dashboard, and it said low tire pressure. And uh, of course, within five minutes, we uh, had a flat tire, and uh, by the time we got home, it was 11 o'clock at night. So praise God, a little tired, thankful uh, for all the hard work of all the guys that were there. Thinking about Dana this evening, if y'all remember, Dana was Leroy's daughter who has been, uh, had some complications, been put back into the hospital again, and uh, that was not good news at all. You know, she suffered a lot of trouble from what began as COVID. Uh, you know, we continue to think about Julie Barnhouse, who lost her father, and uh, trying to think who else. Jager lost his sister. Um, so, so a lot of things to be thankful for, a lot of things to be praying about. Uh, let's go to the Lord, and, uh, and we'll pray. Father, thank you for this day. Uh, we can gather together as your church and uh, have, a, uh, have a good Bible study tonight, have a study of comparative religion, have a study of looking at um, what is Scientology, how do they misdrew the gospel. And as we do this, Lord, we do remember Jager and, and his family and, and their loss. We remember Julie, and we thank you for her father's faith. We remember all those who are on this mission trip. We thank you for them and their work. We pray for that uh, Child Development Foundation in Belize that they will be receiving um, all of these donations. God, praise God for the ministry they do there. Uh, to you be the glory as we're together as your church tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are talking about uh, the kingdom of the cults. This is kind of month two of the association, association for Reformed Theology study of the kingdom of the cults. And at first I was going to do uh, Christian science, but then it just didn't seem very interesting at all. And then I got into Scientology and I was like crazy interested in it. It was so weird. I just couldn't, I just wanted to talk about it and read about it and learn about it. And, and, and I, here's what I learned first off. There's too much to learn. Scientology is a lot, and it's a lot of secrets, and it's a lot of slowly revealed secrets. And so I do not claim to uh, be an expert on Scientology. I claim to be a Christian pastor who spent some time reading over the last month about Scientology. And I've watched some pretty awesome documentaries. And there are, there are some pretty awesome documentaries. I think there's one called Going Clear that was produced by HBO. And I was able to watch it on... Um, on YouTube for free. So you might go to YouTube and, and if you're still interested tonight, you go home, you want to go, that's weird. I want to know some more. And it deals less with their theology, deals with some of that, but, but kind of some of the ways in which they um, handle membership and, and uh, like kind of chase after people who have left the church and, and oppress them. Um, but if we're going to talk about Scientology, we have to talk or have to start with its founder, none other than L. Ron Hubbard himself. It's a good picture of him right there. Hubbard was born in, in 1911 in Nebraska, but he was ended up being raised on a ranch in Montana. And eventually, L. Ron Hubbard became a semi-successful science fiction writer of the 30s and 40s. You know, that's kind of what he did. And, and many of, if you kind of are like following his life and you're hearing his followers, let's say you, you kind of went to one of the TV shows that, that where his followers were talking about his early life, because they do this, they have their own like, like channels and they, they really love Elrod. And the stories that they talk about, it's kind of like uh, Huckleberry Finn. I mean, it's just all these stories of grandeur and, and, and none of them seem to really jive with fact. 
right? So for instance, um, Hubbard claimed to have sunk two Japanese submarines in his time in the Navy, and his military records don't show that he shot any submarines. In fact, if you look at L. Ron Hubbard's military records, it'll show that he was relieved of command after firing upon an occupied Mexican island, you know? Um, so, so he tells, like, he tells his followers, you know, hey, listen, I did all these great things, and then they retell those as legends, but, you know, kind of some of these things don't pan out. He would tell people that in his youth, like his high school days, that he traveled extensively through Asia, studying other cultures, knowing, understanding the different men and the different pygmy groups, while records were show that he was attending high school in America. He would say that after the war, he would tell people that he was crippled and blind and twice pronounced dead. <laughs> this, is, this is kind of the, the imagination of a great science fiction writer, twice pronounced dead. And that later he was healed by the principles of Scientology. And the military records would show that his only injuries in the war, from his military records, were a sore hip and conjunctivitis. It's a pink eye, right? Uh, Hubbard said that he attended Princeton and Sequoia University and that he studied science and mathematics at George Washington University. Uh, he would say that he graduated from Columbian University. Uh, he, he claimed that he got his doctorate from Sequoia University. And what was later discovered was that uh, Sequoia University was basically a diploma mill. In other words, you pay money and you get a diploma in the mail. Uh, his time at Princeton, you know, he, he said, listen, I spent a lot of time studying at Princeton. Well, what that really was, it was not a, a traditional undergraduate or a graduate student. Uh, he rather attended a three-month military conference offered at the University of Princeton. Uh, records do not show that he was ever enrolled at Columbia at all, and he flunked out of George Washington University. So uh, that's kind of his, you know, I guess if you put all that together and you could make it sound really good, um, but don't let his lies fool you because L. Ron Hubbard was a brilliant man. And I need you to try to grasp this. He wrote 15 million published words. He holds the Guinness Book World of Record for the most books published at over 1,000 books. I would be hard-pressed to think there's many in here tonight who have read 1,000 books, much less written 1,000 books. And he wrote that much because that's how he made money. And back in that day, the publishers of these little science fiction, pulp fiction novels would say, uh, we will give you a penny a page. And so if you turn out a 354-page uh, novel, that's 354 shiny pennies for you. That's how you would get paid. And uh, that wasn't a good way to make a living. And he knew it. And so once in the 1940s, he was in New Jersey, it's probably around 49. I was trying to narrow that down, but I think it's about 1949. He's in, he's in New, New Jersey at a science fiction convention, so like a precessor of the Comic-Con, you know? And, and he's there, and he makes a public statement, and you're, you're probably familiar with this public statement. He said this, writing for a penny a word is ridiculous. If a man really wanted to make a million dollars, the best way would be to start his own religion. So that's exactly what he did. He started his own religion. However you slice it, Scientology was a religion created by L. Ron Hubbard so that he could be rich. It's kind of crazy. It was a religion that came from the mind of one of the most prolific science fiction writers in history. And, and, and on its surface, um, 
Scientology is primarily, like, like on its surface, like, like it, if you come in and, and what they want you to think right at the beginning is that Scientology is primarily a form of psychotherapy, right? We've all heard of, of, of psychotherapy before. That, that's what they want you to think it is. Uh, and, and Hubbard would say, he would say, listen, if you're a Christian, great. Come on, Scientology will help you be a better Christian. And if you're a Muslim, great. Scientology will help you be a, a better Muslim. Or you can be polytheistic. If you want to believe in a lot of gods, we're okay with that because that's not really the role we're trying to play. You can be monotheistic. And, and so on the surface, Scientology looks a lot like self-help. And on the surface, it looks like you can be both a Christian and a Scientologist, but you can't. And it makes sense that, that, that Scientology would tell people that like you can come no matter what your religion is because America at that time was very much a Christian country in the 1950s, right? I mean, think about the 50s. It's very, it's, it's, it's Christendom. And Scientology wanted to pull from that financial pool. They didn't want to start a, a, a religion where they couldn't get the Christian dollar bills. They wanted to, to allow Christians to be able to come in and bring their money. And they went to such extremes to show that they were Christians that they even put crosses on their churches. Have you ever seen this cross? This is the cross of Scientology. It's like, the, it's like a cross, but then it's got the, the, the others in the middle, the four other points. Uh, and they redefined the cross's meaning. It says here, uh, it is an eight-point cross representing the eight parts of uh, Dianetics, Dianetics uh, of the life through which each individual is striving to survive, to be able to live in harmony with respect to each other. These spheres of existence is symbolized by the Scientology cross. So um, they redefined the meaning of the cross. They've changed what it means. It, it doesn't, it's no longer a place where Christ died and, and, and shed his blood for you. It means something else. But it's very sneaky because it allows them to say to a, to a, a room of, of ignorant Christians, hey, this is a church. So they adopted a cross. There's another reason they put a cross on their churches. It's not just to trick Christians, but also to trick the internal revenue service, Right? One of the main goals of L. Ron Hubbard was always to become tax exempt. It was very important to him. If he's going to make all that money, he doesn't want to pay taxes on it. And if you watch some of the documentaries about uh, Scientology, you will see the effort that they put on becoming tax exempt. Tons of money. They sued the IRS. Not only did they sue the IRS, they funded every other suit in the United States that was out there against the IRS. They found out who else was suing the IRS, and they said, listen, we're going to pay your legal bills. So that all these new suits started coming out against the IRS, and they were funding the whole thing. Then finally they got the IRS in a room and said, uh, you want us to make this all go away? Makes us tax exempt. And the IRS said, really? And they said, yeah, and that's exactly what happened. For a long time, L. Ron Hubbard was on the run from the IRS, but, but on that day, they were forgiven. Um, in May of 1950s, uh, or excuse me, in May of 1950, Hubbard released his most famous writing. It's a book called Dianetics. Looks very science fiction-y, doesn't it? It has a picture of a volcano erupting there. It's called A Modern Science of Mental Health. And it quickly, Dianex quickly became like the main entry-level reading book for Scientology. So if you want to start Scientology, you have to read Dianetics. And they do have a, a scripture 
in, in Scientology. It's everything that L. Ron Hubbard wrote about Scientology. That's considered their, their corpus of scripture. And what the book Dianetics discusses is, is, is really this. It's, it's what is the soul doing to the body? And it, it, it claims to expose, like within you, if you do Dianetics, all your unreasonable fears. It helps with your anxiety. It helps with your insecurity. It cures these unexplainable pains and sensations and emotions. And it offers people like this self-help psychotherapy at a very supernatural level. It, it, it says that it can give you clear thoughts. It says that if you follow through with Dianetics and Scientology, you can develop a perfect memory. And in some extreme cases, you might even develop superpowers of the mind. You're, you're never going to get sick. And you're going to be able to read the thoughts of others. This is what, if you follow Scientology through and progress enough, this is what's going to happen for you. So let's talk about how Scientology works, okay? Um, if you were to walk into a Scientology church or Scientology center, and you were asked to be involved in Scientology, you would be soon paired with a trained auditor, okay? And, and auditing is the term used in Scientology uh, for these kind of psychotherapy sessions that they're going to have there. And the auditor, auditor would be asked, or we would be trained to ask you questions really well. Uh, they would ask probing questions in your life about your fears and about your failures and setbacks and embarrassing moments. And, and, and here's why. A couple of reasons. One, they kept very good records of your fears and your anxieties and your failures. And there is a corporate office and all of these fears, failures, and things like that were kept and filed in the office. And, and all of your sins and transgressions in the past were kept as records from your psychotherapy session. So when you decide to leave and become an enemy of Scientology, they have a record of everything you've done that was said privately to your counselor, the way your dad treated you as a child. They've got it all. The second thing is more theological. Uh, first... Um, they believe that everyone in the world has a couple of minds. They kind of split the mind in two, right? First, they have an, an analytical mind, right? And, and, the, and the analytical mind is, is the good mind. It's the part of you that makes everyday decisions. It's the part of your mind that, that, that's generally in control. It's, it's generally good. It's smart. It's like a really perfect computer, and if your analytical mind could operate without interruptions, you would be so successful. Like, you, you, would just, you would do really good. You would be happy. You would be rich. You would make good decisions all the time. However, Scientology teaches that you also have this other mind. It's known as the reactive mind. And the reactive mind operates in your subconscious most of the time, right? It's in your subconscious. And it's responsible for insecurity, for fears, for, for doubts, for anxiety. The idea is this. Whenever, whenever like something bad happens to you, say you fall and you skin your knee, right? Uh, when you fall and you scrape your knee or someone yells at you or you experience the trauma of war, your reactive mind is going to store an image. That's your subconscious mind, right, that we talk about. It's going to store an image of the trauma. And uh, L. Ron Hubbard called those images that were going to be stored engrams. You ever heard that term before? Engrams. Now, now, engrams are these painful pictures of the past that tend to leak into our perfect analytical mind that would otherwise make really great decisions. And, and the goal of 
Dianetics and the goal of Scientology now becomes to clear all of these engrams, right? And so the, 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 the term is going clear. You, you no longer have these, these images that came from your subconscious that show up into your analytical mind. You, you get rid of them, and that's the goal of kind of Scientology. So how do you remove these engrams from your reactive mind? How do you do that? Well, you have to participate in hours upon hours of auditing sessions, okay? And the first thing you need to know is that auditing sessions are expensive, okay? You're going to pay a ton, thousands upon thousands of dollars to be audited. Now, there are some options in which you... Um, sign what they call a billion-dollar contract when you go into service for them basically as a slave. You become a slave to Scientology. And in doing so, you begin to get free audits. Okay? It's a good deal. It's a great value. You just have to be a slave the rest of your life, and you get to go clear. Uh, another thing you can do is you can yourself become training to be an auditor, and in training to be an auditor, you can get some discounts on your own audits because it's going to take years and years of audits for you to finally go clear. Now, the, the auditing session, you're going to have a trained auditor who's going to go through all your painful experiences with you, but he luckily has a great tool. The great tool that he has to use at his disposal is called an e-meter. Ever heard of an e-meter? Um, Basically, uh, scientists call the e-meter a religious artifact. Um, let's see, I think I got a picture of an e-meter right there. Can you see Mr. John Travolta? And Mr. John Travolta is holding in his hands two tin cans. Those tin cans are connected to a wire. That wire is connected to some religious artifact that measures electricity through the body. And as you are asked questions, uh, there's a charge that's active in that wire that puts a slight electrical charge into the tin cans. And it says that the tin cans can measure the, get this now, the mass of a thought. The mass of a thought. So if you can measure the mass of a thought, you can tell whether or not an engram is growing larger or smaller. And so a well-trained auditor can say, listen, we really made some progress today. When you showed up, your engram was huge, but now we begin to really get it, get it low. And uh, the auditor will read the e-meter the e and say, uh, that's, what I, that's what I thought. Wait, hold on a second. Did you just have a thought? What were you thinking there? I, 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 I mentioned a thought. What were you thinking about? And they, and, and, and they, they go through all this. It's, it's, a, it's a mess. Um, like I said, bring your wallet. Audits are expensive. And they decide how many audits you need. Right? They're always telling you, oh, man, you just need 10 or 12 more audits, and you're going to be there. You're going to be ready. We're going to get you through this thing. And, and maybe you're thinking, oh, well, this doesn't sound so bad. It's kind of like therapy with a little bit of science fiction going in. And, um, but here's the rub. Uh, that's just level one knowledge. Everything we've gone through right now is, is level one knowledge. They'll tell Joe Blow on the street this stuff. But once you get into the program, you start finding out more. And it's not easy to become clear. Not near as easy as you thought when you got there. You see, there's this whole bridge that you have to cross. They call it the bridge to enlightenment. It's got all these next levels. And so once you've had enough auditing and you've done enough work on your engrams, there are levels upon levels 
Let me show you what I mean. Here is the bridge. Yeah, I mean, I know you can't read that, but I mean, if you could, it wouldn't make any more sense. I was trying to get it back on there. It, it's a lot. So there's, there's just, you just keep climbing this, 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 this ladder of this bridge to get higher and higher and clearer and clearer. It's overwhelming. I, I, I couldn't, I tried to really work hard to grasp all this for you in a month, and there literally is just so much that, that I couldn't. Uh, and Scientologists don't have a grasp of all of Scientology, and not everyone is allowed to know everything about Scientology. The higher you go up the bridge... Uh, the more information is revealed to you. So, um, and it's also the more expensive it gets. You get to these levels, and the, each level has a title. One of the things they talk about is, 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 is being OT and, and OT1, OT2. The highest is OT8. And um, if you've paid $100,000 to get to level, to become an OT, and, and, and you, you get there, they're going to bring you in a room, and they're going to bring a briefcase out excuse me for those at home, bring a briefcase out. They're going to open up the briefcase and they're going to hand you a file in it and they're going to make everyone leave the room. You're going to read the file and it's going to be the next level of information that you get to read from L. Ron Hubbard. And, and sometimes it makes sense and sometimes it doesn't make sense and they'll walk in and say, do you know what it is that you read? Okay, I need you to read it again. Tell me, explain to me that you know what it means. And the, and the higher you get, the stranger the, the information becomes. You begin to discover... Your soul is something called a, let me see if I can get out of this real quick, a thetan, right? A thetan is what your soul is called, uh, which is kind of a really weird term, right? Doesn't that, that sounds like something that a science fiction author would, would call a soul, a thetan. Uh, it's, it's based on the, the Greek uh, consonant theta, you know? And um, now thetans uh, are your soul. And, and if you have, a, a, you have a mind, you have a body, and you have a thetan. Mind, body, and thetan. Now, now, thetans were very old. Let me tell you how old they say thetans are. 80 trillion years old. Uh, and all of thetans together, all the, all the souls together, were apparently responsible for creation. They just look like we're, we're, we, we created everything kind of in a, in, a, in a common agreement that we should. But things were also brought to this planet at some point and thrown into volcanoes. I mean, it's, it's a lot. Um, and once they, once they sort of emerged from the volcanoes, they took up host inside of people. And Scientologists believe that when you die, your theta will leave your body and it will go to a, another station waiting a time for it to be born. But here's the deal. Before you can go to, to this new body, you have to go to this place. And I, I kind of mentioned it. It's called the implant station. You ever heard of the implant station? So you're, and it's generally, uh, theaters are interplanetary. You need to know that. Like one of, the, one of the implant stations is definitely on Mars. We know that from reading. Um, so your, your soul will jump to an implant station. Now, your soul, your theta, as they call it, it may not be reincarnated into a human, and it, it's pretty common that you've been reincarnated over and over and over again for since really the foundation of 80 trillion years, you know. Um, and, and so at the implant station where they go after they die, um, the, the theta, uh, Thetan checks in. He kind of checks, gets his, you know, hey, hey, this is how it's going for me. He checks in. 
and and they're giving a, a forgiven or excuse me a forgetter. This is the real term forgetter implant, right? So let's just call it like a, a mind sweep, right? You get your mind washed, so you don't remember when you start over again everything. You get you get a, a forgetter implant, and that and at that implant station sometimes thetans get false memories, and and they get implanted in them. And and L. Ron Hubbard claims that. And this is really important, that Christ is one of those false memories that was implanted in Thetans millions of years ago. In a sense, he's denying uh, the realness of Jesus, I guess, and saying that, that, that he is an implant millions of years ago that came on to Thetans. They had this memory of Jesus, and I think maybe it is... Uh, his way of explaining why there's a draw towards Christ that somewhere in their Thetan, Christ had been falsely implanted on them so many years ago. So I think that's how he tries to speak to people and remove the hold that Christ has on them by saying that desire for you, that draw that Christ has on your life, that is a false implant from the uh, implant station a million years ago. Um, that's just one way that Scientology is hostile to the, to the gospel. L. Ron Hubbard uh, hardly mentions Jesus, and, and when he does mention Jesus, it is rarely in reverence. Uh, he, Hubbard mostly speaks disparagingly about Jesus when he speaks about it all. He, he denies Jesus' moral perfection. He writes that Jesus had a flawed character. He denies the uniqueness of Jesus as a Messiah. He believes that there's many Messiahs. He talks about Jesus and Buddha as kind of being the same thing at different times, and kind of being, you know, little Messiahs. Uh, he, uh, he taught that Jesus was a, a member of the Essene uh, group that was there in his time, and as such, that, that Jesus would have believed in reincarnation. And in the end, that Jesus was just another Thetan inhabiting another body. He was not unique in the incarnation as we understand him. And uh, when, when Hubbard looked at that bridge of ranking of where you are, of Scientology enlightenment, he remarked of himself that, that neither Jesus or Buddha had reached the level of OT. Now, now, here's what's interesting. OT has eight levels. He was the top at level eight, and he puts Jesus and Buddha as at least nine levels below him on the scale of enlightenment. Um, he says Jesus was just above clear, which is kind of in the middle there. Uh, another place where Scientology and Christianity aren't compatible is in their view of man. Scientology teaches that, that man is basically good. Remember that, that, that part of the mind that, that's there, that it would be just perfect if we could just remove these old uh, engrams from it. Man has within himself a perfect nature that is, that is only you know, corrupted by something else. And the Bible teaches that there is no one righteous, not one. So they don't agree. Hubbard uh, teaches Darwinism, and he teaches ideas that are very much like it. He says that man began his journey uh, 60 trillion years ago. In, uh, in one of his books, he recalls man's beginning as light in photon converters. I, once again, it's a lot. Uh, you know, that's, they, they began as light in photon converters, but then they were a jellyfish. And that, that jellyfish got tired of being slammed up against the shore. Uh, and by the waves, and so he grew a shell and became a clam. And all the while, our thetans that are, that are in our body now were in those animals, right? And they were picking up 
engrams. And that not every time that you had your memory wiped was it completely wiped. So that you could be in an auditing session and, and the e-meter could go off and he could say, what are you thinking about now? And he could say, well, I'm having this memory of just being slammed against the rock. And the guy would say, that's when you were a jellyfish. And, and there was very, it's, they're very serious about this. Uh, they, they would think that um, smokers only smoked because they were remembering their time when their thetans were thrown in the volcanoes. Uh, Vegetarians are drawn to be vegetarians because they remember being eaten by animals in their former life. Um, and finally, Scientology has a different view of salvation. Okay, It's not about a savior, savior who saves you from sin. Uh, for the Scientologist, salvation is being freed from the endless cycle of birth and rebirth of your Thetan. Okay, that's, that's what you're trying to be safe from. Um, and the way to salvation is to erase engrams, and, uh, and the way to do that is through auditing to clear your Thetan. And it seems like, okay, I, I think I'm getting to understand Scientology. Until you reach OT3, okay? You have, pet, you have just paid a, a million and a half dollars to reach OT3, and I'm, guys, I'm telling you, it's expensive. It's expensive. It's why only these Hollywood stars are doing it. And everyone else stays down in this poor people category. They can never have enough money to get the OT category. And that's where the wealthy elites live, right? Because it, it does, it takes millions of dollars. And, and, and if you listen to some of these stories and watch some of these documentaries about how much money people give to the church, they're like, I gave another million so that I can get OT2. So by the time you get to OT3, where you learn that the head of the Galactic Confederation of 76 planets, 95 million years ago, solved overpopulation by collecting all of the galaxy's thetans and bringing them to Earth and putting them into a volcano and dropping an H-bomb on them. As a result, you will then find out at level three that your body is not made up of flesh, but your body is made up of thousands of thetans individually strewn together in clusters to form hands and feet, and your entire body's made up of thetans. And so you, you thought that salvation meant just clearing your thetan from engrams, and now you realize you've got to clear all these cluster clatons that your body is made out of. It just, it's just got a lot more expensive. And for a large fee, L. Ron Hubbard can help you figure out how to get out of that mess. Well, L. Ron Hubbard died rich. So in conclusion, let me say a few things. Very interesting. Um, and and if, you're, if you want to know like um, what OT, we talk about OT1, OT2, OT3, OT8, it means that your Thetan is operating in control of your body. Like your soul is, has taken over your, your active mind. You're, you're, you're an operating Thetan. And Jesus never reached this level. God bless him, nor did Buddha. So in conclusion, uh, they redefine the meaning of the cross. In conclusion, they don't believe that Jesus was morally perfect. Uh, in conclusion, they teach that Jesus was only a false projection from the implant center. Uh, they deny Jesus' uniqueness as Savior. They deny the Christian idea of creation and the Trinity. 
They are lost. They are lied to and confused. They are the most litigious cult in history. They are famous for suing people. They could sue me tonight just for saying this on Facebook Marketplace or Facebook Live. Who knows? Good luck. You're not going to get much. And, and uh, they have no problem destroying their enemies. They have doctrines within the church where they're able to uh, kind of identify someone as being an SP, which is a suppressive person. And if you're a suppressive person and you've been labeled as that, they are to break all ties with you. And so they do this a lot. They tell, they tell people in the church, your mother said that she was concerned about your, you being involved with this cult. She is a suppressive person. You are to no longer have any contact with your mother. You cannot take her phone calls or be around her at all. She is a suppressive person. It, you, know, they, you could also just really have no problem morally being evil and mean to suppressive people. And if someone who is in your church becomes a suppressive person and they're out there harming the church, well, it's time to operate. It's time to open up their entire file of 15 years of auditing to find out who they cheated on in high school, what baby they gave away from adoption. It's just, it's just gross, you know. And I think that uh, we'll end there and maybe uh, have Gavin come up and, and run a panel and Jim and Weston come up and, and we'll do our best just to entertain discussion. None of us are experts on Scientology. Uh, I've read some books. I've watched some documentaries. Uh, I want to be fair, but, uh, but even being fair, I think they're crazy. All right. I do like the, uh, I want to start doing the, the billion dollar youth program. <laughs> you give me your free youth trip, but there's some work to do. Um, so I like it, putting that in place. Uh, so the first question I have for y'all, and I think you covered it very well, but I'll just to kind of, thanks for that, kind of reiterate it. The first question I have is, can someone be a Christian and a Scientologist. Now, I believe you answered it, but I'm going to let you, let y'all hammer that nail. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what it means. I, I, I think if you're a Christian and you're all serious, you're going to be a really bad Scientologist. And if you're a Scientologist and you're really something you like, you're not going to be much of a Christian. Um, the, the, the two belief systems are absolutely antithetical. They're everything from who Jesus is, what your problem is, how you get right in the universe, what the goal of your life is. Um, they're just they're just opposite. So um, a Christian, I, I mean, are there any Christians out there who dabble in things that are not necessarily Christians? We've all done that. We know some. So uh, that can be done. But I can't imagine anybody um, finding Christ, growing in Christ, dealing with their sins, and then going off to Scientology and trying to deal with that. Um, you know, you, you're gonna, are you really going to exchange the um, confession for God or a priest? How you do it with, um, you know, the the confession before the auditor? I mean, uh, one of the things I don't know if you all noticed as we move through this thing, how many how many things as many of these cults do? Um, how many things within Scientology are almost ultimately um, mimics of create of God and the church because people need these things. 
Um, and so um, are you really going to cease to confess sins and instead start worrying about your ingrams and the, the pains you've gotten in, in life as affecting, uh, affecting your, um, you know, your good self? Uh, the whole assumption is that you're good, and uh, which Christianity is the opposite of that. So, no, not really. Your, your wife's raising her hand. You, you have anything to say about that? This one's that? about the one who should not be named again. Or <laughs> yes, King. <laughs> Miscavige, that's right. Uh, what's his first name? David Miscavige, yeah. So David is probably an OT8, if I had to guess now. I, I'm not, a, I, I don't have to look this up. Tom Cruise is pretty stinking high. He said, at one point, he said, there's only one man they called clear. That, that, I think that was the, 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 that was the ultimate. And in 1966, there was this guy named McMasters. And he was clear. Um, but two years later, he was out there telling everybody that Hubbard was a charlatan, and he, they were oppressive. It was a cult. And, and, uh, and he just ended his life in, in a mess, poor and, and, and everything. But they, they sort of tried to, um, he, he was the one guy at that, at that point, I guess, who had cleared all those ingrams off. Soul and um, whatever that is, but uh, 64, I think. They probably marched her out there and said she's clear and she can remember simultaneously every moment of her life. And so they begin to ask her questions about the day before, and she looked real bad. They asked her what was uh, Hubbard's tie, what kind of coat tie was he wearing? She oh, yeah, what kind of tie was he wearing? I can't remember. That's right. All right, so the next question I have is, someone said that Scientology is just the old religion of Gnosticism. Is that true? It's new and improved. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a secret knowledge, but better secret Yeah, yeah, you, you'll see, you know, Tyson does start, you know, we're talking about John, and so at it, 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 the heart of it, they talk about John's response to Gnosticism the word Gnosticism comes from the word knowledge. And look, it's one of the things that's hard to put your finger on Gnosticism through the ages is it's everywhere. It's, it's the heart of all the Far Eastern religions that come over, all the mystery religions with their secret knowledge. It's moved itself into church and a lot of the um, overemphasis about the inner knowledge people get with the, with the, through the spirit or whatever. It touches everything everywhere. And... Um, you know, like, like, like Tess was talking about, there's this great um, dichotomy between Gnosticism, between the, the height of the spirit world, and in the case of the first century, the ugliness of the, the body. You know, how could Jesus be incarnated? How could he be resurrected? 
but at least, but it, the way it shows up in these other places is that um, it's the spirit overwhelms the body. The body gets sick. The body has all kinds of issues. Um, but the Thedon, the spirit, the, um, the secret knowledge that you get ultimately can overcome those things. And um, you move more and more. You know, Gnosticism is all about coming from light, becoming a body, um, and, and, and escaping in some way from that. You kind of get that in all of this stuff. So it's interesting. It's not that. It's just, it's just new forms of the same old stuff being played again and again and again. And Christians, as we kind of start moving through things, we ought, we ought to be discerning going, I've seen that in history, and now, I'm see, and now I'm seeing it here. This is not nothing new here. This is just the same kind of self-idolization um, coming out that's been around forever. Yeah, I think it's interesting. And, you know, Gnosticism went back in the early church. These guys were teaching that. Once you kind of came this, this sense of spirituality that was this certain level of it, um, at that point, there were no more real sins for you, which means you could do whatever you want. Um, and you begin to see, but now if the people haven't reached that level, well, then it's bad for them because they haven't reached the level of clarity. Um, and you see that a lot in these cults, kind of concept of the leaders can do things that, that you can't do. Um, but that's because they've learned to control things, right? Like that. So it's very interesting, another you know, nice flag for these kinds of things, that the leaders can do things that you're not allowed to do morally um, run. Yeah, I do remember that. There were, there were uh, uh, certain, what was the guy, Balfield uh, Earth, what was the actor who, uh, John Travolta, had, had, had reached a level where he could kill a man. <laughs> In Scientology, he, he was kind of like 007. He, he had a license to kill. Uh, I remember reading about some, some he was on a level where they had given him some award that, you know, he had some, some, some really great moral exceptions for himself. Yeah, could do no wrong. I mean, there's just really some strange things when you talk about Scientology. Um, you know, one of the things that, that, that they talk about in, in Hubbard's past is that, uh, you know, Hubbard, you know, he didn't have a Christian past. He had, he had a past where he was actually involved in some, what, what they call, like, sexual black magic cults, you know. Uh, and, and, and he married a woman who was supposed to give birth to Lucifer. Uh, he, 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 there was a guy who was a cult leader. His wife, or his girlfriend, and him had devised a plan that he was going to get that he was going to get his girlfriend pregnant during this blood magic ritual, and Elron Hubbard came in and stole her away from him. <laughs> it's a true story. Daddy to the devil. <laughs> Any questions? Yeah, I think you could probably talk their language about becoming clear and talk about what the one thing that can make a man clear be the blood of Christ, you know, and, you know, and, and say, listen, if you're really interested in being clear, you know, you're not that way because you have these space demons on you written by Elon Hubbard. You are that way because you have a sin nature, you know, and you're fallen, you're broken, and the only way to become really clear in this world is, uh, has to be clear by the blood of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. 
kid that's it's great. It's great. A lot more it's and great. a lot less, depending on how you look at it. And it doesn't mean you're morally perfect, but it means that you're forgiven. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it's part of it. You, you're, you, it's, it's all these groups. They're all trying to. They all see the same thing. They see what man could be made. Of, I mean, we'd say made in the image of God, and and there, there's what he wants to be, could be that, and then also that he felt miserable. I think that's what C.S. Lewis said. Everybody knows the laws out there. Two things everybody knows, the law's out there, and we fail at it. And how ultimately he puts it together is, is we have a way. way is we are objectively guilty. We have, we have fallen. We know we should be. We cannot do it. We cannot think we need to repent and change, confess, repent, and let God work his, his will through our lives. They say, no, no, your problem is um, you just, you, you've got these ingrams. You've got these, these um, experiences, these things that have that, that that put themselves into your um, inner man, and they keep affecting this, and then that thing gets into the rest of your your, your mind or whatever it's called, uh, your I believe you call it somatic, somatic mind or whatever, and that's just affecting your health and your reasoning, your neuroses and psychoses and all these various kinds of things. Um, and you, so, but they see the same thing. Um, but the thing we have going for us is theirs isn't going to work. And you had this fact that it's mostly a rich man's game. You know, who's going to pay for this stuff? And you can look at any of these people's lives, and you know, you're supposed to have great marriages and all that. Well, I don't know if that, that's true with Tom Cruise or anybody else for that matter. And so that's part of your testimony. Um, it's, it's, but to know that what they're doing is really they're, they're trying to hit the same things. They just can't do it. There's no, they're, they, they're not going to get what they want. They're not going to go to the, the galactic planet and get refigured and, you know, reincarnated and incarnated again. Instead, from man, it's, 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 he dies once in the judgment. Um, but there's, um, but what they want, it can only be found through Christ. It seems like fundamentally what the audit sessions do, well, two things. One, they give ammo down the road, right? They say, gotcha. Um, but the other thing is it seeks to alleviate in your mind the thing that every human being knows is wrong with them. Is that, that's that they're guilty of something. So they have these bad things, these Experiences, these issues that they're trying to cope with one way or another. And the audit session is trying to clear your mind from the guilt and the association with those things. And so ultimately, it, it's, it's where do you confess your sins? Like how do you clear your conscience of your sins? And for them, it's you pay enough money, you have enough sessions, have your psyche, your, your psyche mess with enough to try to clear it, chase it out. And we say, well, that's not how it works. It's Jesus. Um, and which is what all these things do at some point. They're all trying to find a way to ease your conscience and ease your guilt so you no longer feel it. Um, they create these drugs. And since that, that's a drug, that's part of what your, your thing is. You do understand you're taking a drug that's killing a pain, but the pain is actually your friend driving you to Christ. You're killing the pain, but the, the, the death, the objective guilt is still there. Um, and then you're in your dialogue. That's on, since y'all are going... I was, was going to say, since y'all are already started down that path, that leads to our next question. It says, what do most people hope to get from Scientology? I feel like y'all are already headed that way. I think it's, it's the whole self-help, the, the, the basics of it. They want, people want to be happy and successful and want to be smart and want their careers to go well. And I, listen, I think that you know, some of the documentaries that I have watched, they will talk about how especially in Hollywood, people will say, 
if you want to get that audition, go be part of the Church of Scientology. That there are whole sections of Hollywood that are so involved in the Church of Scientology. Um, like, remember that 70s show? Most of the cast at the 70s show was Scientologists. Um, we could, we could, they had a big montage that I almost cut up. It was all the famous faces of people who are in Scientology. And a lot of those, you know, a lot of these celebrities whose, whose faces look like, oh, that guy, the fat guy from Friday Night Lights. You know, just like all these guys that kind of maybe not superstars, but there were a lot of faces of people I knew as character actors all through Hollywood were all in Scientology. So I think there was some benefit of that. You know, the promises that, that all of us have and, and, and what we, we don't like about ourselves and want to see change and want to be successful, they could offer the role. I'm not sure you don't see this bleeding into the church and the prosperity messages. Where your great goal seems to be to get through the pain of this life now versus something else. And, and look, on the other side of it, because we're all trying to, how, how do we fix this and get us ready for the next life? On the other end of it, take you through and uh, clean you up and get you there. And it's just the message of grace Protestant Reformation brought. You, you see how it touches all these things. I think it was a, you know, a Chesterton, he said, um, one of the things that God came to deliver us from was inner life, um, inner religion. There's an objective God out there. He absolutely has an objective law. It's not about you. It's all about him. And that is your salvation. Um, so... You know, and, and there's also, okay, so what's the lady who uh, was on Key of Queens that's so big? And had, what's her name? We know? Leah Rimini. Rimini. Leah Rimini. Okay, whatever it is. Okay, so she, in an interview that I heard with her, she was talking. She said, when you're practicing Scientology, you're expected to spend an hour and a half a day at the church. You spend every day you go to church for an hour and a half, and you spend it either in auditing sessions or service or in community groups. And, and you do that every single day. And, um, and so um, there are a lot of good ministries that kind of, we say good, but, but they are kind of good ministries that come out of Scientology, like Narcon, you know, it, it's a ministry for, for, for people who are on drugs and, it, and it, they're really, uh, uh, they really stand against drugs as, a, as an organization, you know? And it seems like there was another one too uh, that had to do with, with being in prison, but they really, big prison ministry, and, and I think they offer, you know, if you're an hour and a half a day with a community that kind of is kumbaya, there's a value in community in that. People, you know, even if it's false, you know, they, they, they love it, they enjoy it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a family feeling for them. Scientology struggled to to get their tax exempt status. One of those things is that tax exempt organizations like the church are supposed to be financial pass-throughs. Right? We're not supposed to acquire great wealth. Um, you know, you might go. You know, how long? How much you need on your back books in case you have a bad year? So you, you know, your owners may go, "Hey, we want to have four hundred thousand dollars on the on the books, which is six months or eight months of you know kind of operating expenses." But beyond that, you're not supposed to be acquiring great wealth. Uh, the Church of Scientology is rumored to have like $1.6 million in cash, a billion dollars in cash, $1.6 billion in cash. 
and like $1.8 billion in property. And so they acquire a lot of the high-end properties. It's part of just kind of their, what they're doing. I don't know their end agenda. I just know it really, if, if there is a case against them now to, be, to, to actively remove their tax exempt status, it has to do with their holdings. So I gotta uh, change gears just a little bit. How did Elron Hubbard learn of these Thetans? Uh, you know, how did he discover them? Was he enlightened by a Thetan? How... I don't know. I asked the question. Sitting again, I was like, I got this question. <laughs> He's had, he, again. See how it mimics the Christian worldview. He had the experience where once he went back a billion years, and once he went ahead um, to, you know, the galactic, whatever you call it. I can't remember what it was that he believes. Just interesting how he just he just interwove his science fiction world. Um, I mean, he he fitted just fine on the History Channel right now. So just to kind of interwove the whole his, uh, his, um, his science fiction thing with his faith, with with a lot of 19th century. Um, um, you know, Edgar, I don't know if you ever heard Edgar Casey and all that kind of um, spirit of the inner man and, and you know, Oprah Winfrey now with the, uh, the secret, all that kind of stuff runs together. Um, I, I'd be curious of that, the Ingram dimension is how, what relationship that, that, that is to the Enneagram, which is that thing that a lot of people like to do businesses now. And when you start looking at the various nine, the various types and the, um, you know, getting stuff out of your way that mess up who you really are. They're very similar. Uh, I'm sure they're, 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 they're somewhere in that tree. They're connected, the family tree. I can't understand this one thing about Scientology. Here's what I can't understand. Just the one. He, he stood up. Yeah, just one. This is one. <laughs> he stood up and said, uh, I'm going to make something up. I'm going to get rich. And it's like, I'm, you know, and, and, then, and then he made it up. And people were like, and he never denied it. I mean, he just, you know, in a sense, he probably denied it. But I mean, it was there in, in black and white and print. We all know he made it up. This is a science fiction writer. Surely Tom Cruise knows he made it up. Surely John Travolta knows he made it up. Like, it's, at what point does someone guy goes, hey, listen, man, I'm going to give you a dollar. You're going to give me a dollar. I'm going to punch you in the face. And that's our religion, you know. And, 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 and you go, like, great, let's do that. Did you just make that up? I mean, how, how did it, people fall? That, that was what they wanted. What was that quote? Said uh, I can't remember who it was. Said they're trying to uh, fill a God-shaped hole. Yeah. Well, I think it lends for a good apologetic question. I'll ask y'all this question. See, now I'm asking you out there. Um, a lot of people who believe Christianity go, yeah, you believe people rise from the dead. You're just pretty crazy too. Um, so as we look at all these cults and we. We can look at them, we look at them so clearly and go, this is absurd. Um, 
flip side of that, people look at us and say the same thing. What, what, how, do, how, do we, how do we approach that? By faith, Weston. Well, that's how Tom Cruise approached it. <laughs> yeah, one of the things, that, and that's what some of how the apologetic is, um, what, you want new normals and what's normal and, and, and all these kind of are, they're very fluid words, uh, you know, or fluid ideas. In the end, it's, it's a competition of faiths. And our faith is absolute foolishness to the world. The world's faith is absolute foolishness to us. Um, the fact that we've lived in a culture, as you've said, has been a Christian culture for so long that we all kind of agreed on one set of foolishness. So we all kind of think, I, I may not live the thing. I'm not going to say nothing disrespectful about Jesus. I mean, he rose from the dead. You go out your, you know, your uh, God-hating life or whatever. But now we don't live with that. Now, um, again, I want to maybe quote Chesterton. He said, when you stop believing in true God, it's not that you believe in nothing. You believe in everything. And every bit of garbage that you can possibly come up with in your brain um, is, is just – that man and his, and his depravity is coming out of our politics, our culture, and we're seeing – you know, and of course you're seeing – you know, but there's nothing crazier than um, um, what the 20 gender things compare – you know, how – you know, we're doing – this is not crazier than that. It's just we're adding crazy upon crazy. And so in the end, you are creating a world that is utterly foolish to them. And we ought to own it and say it. We believe that something, because anything you want to believe, uh, you, you know, that you're going to challenge your faith in the end. The same people can say, men don't rise from the dead. So if that's what you're resting your faith on, um, then let's just go ahead and be all in. Um, they're gonna, let them be all in on theirs and witness the faith and, and then let God do what God is going to do. But, uh, um, but we have to prepare for that. We're going to try to be our sanity, um, but our sanity is still going to look like family with one husband, one uh, wife, children. Um, it's going to look like people loving one another, not getting rich off. It's going to look, it's going to look different than the world. And, and, it, and we think it would be an attraction to the world uh, in the long run. Uh, Joe Rogan had a podcast where he was interviewing that, that lady who escaped, uh, that, that star uh, who escaped from uh, Scientology. You know? And he said, you know the difference between a cult and a religion, don't you? I mean, he's the wisdom of the world, right, Joe Rogan? He's a smart guy, but he's the wisdom of the world. And she says, what? He goes, in a cult, a guy, a guy makes up a bunch of weird stuff, tells, it, tells everyone to believe it, and they do, and, uh, and he rules over them. In a religion, that guy dies. That's the logic of the world, right? That they're all the same, that, um, that Christianity and Judaism we're the same because uh, the guy who made up Christianity and all that stuff is dead. And, um, you know, it, luckily for us, you know, we just read Hebrews and we have these halls of faith. And, and I think that's really, in a way, is, is that not what was happening in Hebrews where, you know, all these guys were, were being told by the world, what you believe in is foolishness, what you believe in is foolishness. And the author of Hebrews was trying to encourage them. You know, what a great cloud of witnesses we have. Look at these heroes of faith. You have to just put your eyes on Jesus and run. Okay.
trusted persons. Yes, please. You know, L. Ron Hubbard was no fool, and when he created this religion, he did so with a very, uh, uh, he did so with a very great carrot and a very great stick. And 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 you know, we, we talk about you know what, what are the great carrots? Well, you know, Tom Cruise basically uh, in his life is also surrounded by slaves, servants, people who have signed a billion-dollar contract and are now scientists for Tom Cruise to do things for him all. So when he goes on movie sets, you, you, if you're not a Scientologist, you're not getting near him. His, his guy, crew of people who are trained, but if, if he goes, I sure would like a coffee, you know, a latte. And if they don't say, well, it's kind of late. They say, yes, sir, we're going to get it right now. So he's got quite a great carrot in his life, the way that he's worshiping. He's got, got quite a great stick as well, which you just, just described. Uh, you know, the, the Church of Scientology did not like Nicole Kidman. And they worked to, to run to ruin that marriage and run her off. And for a moment, uh, uh, well, Katie Holmes was picked out for him by the Church of Scientology. She was, yeah, she was their choice though to replace uh, Nicole Kidman. So for a while, Tom Cruise was separate from the Church of Scientology. And in that season is when, <laughs> guess what movie he made when he separated from Scientology? Eyes Wide Shut. You know, it's like this really. A sexually charged movie, but he was able to kind of make, apart from the ethical constraints of, of the Scientology Church, you know, and uh, and, and they, they they ended up labeling uh, Nicole Kidman an SP and, and really working to, to they they actually assigned people. His auditor, who was auditing Tom Cruise, was told to to begin to do his work with the E meter to break up the marriage and to begin to implant ideas that would that would ruin their marriage. Anyway, it's, it's, it's a bunch of things I read. And, saw him, and uh, I guess it's true. I should quit gossiping. I'm going to come do celebrity. <laughs> I don't know celebrity gossip. I don't know. It's just a real thin line. Or it's a live stream of celebrity, yeah. celebrity gossip. So yeah, it's, it's a real thin line between celebrity gossip and Church of Scientology. <laughs> if the Scientology lawyer shows up next week, we'll know what that is.
got time for one more? So, no more Weston questions. Does reincarnation have to be inconsistent with Christianity? Couldn't the final judgment be after many reincarnations? Hey, that wasn't me. I asked way dumber questions than that. Uh, yes, reincarnation is inconsistent with Christianity. Uh, I can remember the, my source text, but we die once. You know, it's, it's basically uh, followed up. Uh, you know, we, we die once, and, and, and we're raised, and, and we have one resurrection. There's the Jewish theory that, that uh, Jonah was actually the boy that Elijah raised the dead. And so the joke is that Jonah died three times. Because if he died then, then died in the well, then you know, died at the end, um, there's a sort of, not reincarnation. Apart from Jonah. Yeah. I think the whole basis of reincarnation is you come back to fix what you didn't do before or get rewarded. Whereas Christianity, again, we only go through the cross. Everything is fixed only through the cross. Um, and so reincarnation is ultimately a works-based worldview. Um, and the cross is the worldview of grace. Yeah. The reincarnation, birth, means try again. If you didn't get it right, you'll try again. See if you can be perfect this time. See if you can be perfect this time. You're just for eternity. Until hopefully you can become clear, and then you are perfect, and it's, it's the ultimate works-based righteousness. All right, this is the last question I have, so we'll have to get some more from y'all. Is there any redeemable aspect of Scientology? For example, people who use the engram for a Christian perspective. So are there, are there things, could, could a Christian go uh, to, to an audit and, and say, I don't really want anything to do with any of the religious points of it, but I just want you to talk me through some of my traumas of the past and see if there's any value in working through that in psychotherapy uh, in the stylings of Scientology. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I remember when Scientology, I remember Scientology got big when I was a kid and I remember seeing those Dianetic books everywhere, and it was really pushed as self-help. So I think that's kind of what the question is is leaning towards. But I mean, if you're using the homo electrometer, that doesn't radiate to me. I mean, seriously, like, <laughs> it's not even like a, it's a, you know, it's a holograph that's right? Well, I'm not sure that it is. It's a form of form of crude. And you, well, you do something, and something thing. jerks around and go, oh, what made you jerk around there? Well, well let's start talking about yeah, that. Yeah, Yeah, it's, I can't imagine anything, it's just such an entire system, I can't imagine finding, look, I, I can find things from Christians that are not my denomination that are very helpful, I can bring over and whatever, but there's just, this is just so off the charts, everything that Christianity believes, um, anything that I could get from that guy, I could get, you know, by a Christian, you know, therapy. Therapy's good. Yeah, therapy's good. Yeah. I guess for me, yeah, I would, I would almost want to reframe the question and say something like this: If Scientology is poison for the soul, why would I encourage any of my friends to play with it? You know, 
Um, like, I want, well, I'm just, just, I'm just gonna, you know, hold the bottle for a while and see if there's anything good I can get from it, or maybe whip the top of it, you know, and just see how it tastes. I just want to taste it. I just, I just think it's so bad and such a slippery slope. It makes me so nervous that, you know, um, that I wouldn't encourage anyone if there's anything good in it, you know. So, so you wouldn't compare that to seeing like a, a Christian psychiatrist or a, or someone in that field at all? I think they're great, you know, I think they're great Christian psychiatrists that are completely and uniquely different. And a lot of what I see in, um, in, in uh, Dianetics specifically is a misunderstanding of, of how we think through past trauma, you know, and, 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 and what is it when, when you go into war and you come out, you have PTSD, I think it's a lot of, they're trying to grasp, he's trying to grasp in a really spiritual, not quite full way what PTSD was and how it keeps reappearing, things keep reappearing. And, and I think, you know, so I think PTSD is a real thing. I think sometimes you need to deal with things in your past uh, in order to move forward. I, I don't have a problem with that logic, you know? Um, so. Yeah, I think the heart of, if, say, Christian psychologists and pastors, at the heart of what they're ultimately doing, you vent and talk, you're moving people towards repentance and forgiveness, which is a different view than what Scientology is offering with the angels and trying to clear them um, by the help of somebody other than you. Well, I'm out of questions. Is there any more questions? We're about out of time. We try to target an hour 15. We're about an hour 15 now. Uh, so, uh, Weston, you say prayer close? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for bringing us here to Lord, discuss worldview. Um, Lord, we can, uh, every, every time we do this, we pray that it would sharpen our understanding of our faith, our understanding of you. Um, Father, we pray for those uh, people who have been uh, tricked, manipulated, sucked into these various cults, Lord, that you would give them um, clarity of mind, um, that you would bring them and draw them to you if they would see Christ is the only way to, to happiness, to joy, Lord, to eternal life. Um, Father, take us home this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. November 16th, I think, 16th, yeah, next one, I think uh, my dad is doing it on uh, the Mormons, right, Mormons, so um, we'll see you then.